Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Alan McLeod. Alan McLeod is a writer at FAIR, fair fair.org, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. He completed his PhD at the Glasgow University Media Group. His first book was Bad News from Venezuela, 20 Years of Fake News and Misreporting, published in April. He is currently working on a book called Propaganda in the Information Age, Still Manufacturing Consent, which updates Ed Herman's and Noam Chomsky propaganda model and is scheduled for release in the winter. He recently wrote an article called The Utility of the Russiagate Conspiracy. Alan McLeod, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, what is the utility of Russiagate? Well, um, ever since the shocking election in 2016 of Donald Trump, People have been looking around for searching for reasons why he won. And one of the most popular ones is that Trump was helped by a barrage of fake news around the Internet, some of which may have been uh, aided by the Russian state. So, for instance, the Washington Post published a very well-read article introducing a website called Prop or Not, which uh, purported to be able to distinguish Russian propaganda from genuine news. Prop or Not... uh, told its uh, readers that any news source critiquing NATO, Obama, Clinton, war, the military-industrial complex, or even just highlighting divisive divisive uh, issues like uh, the environment or racial uh, inequality in America was a sure sign that you were reading Russian fake news. It also supplied a list of um, problematic and uh, Kremlin-sponsored, possibly Kremlin-sponsored news sources that it claimed were fake news. Uh, on the website, there was uh, addresses like right-wing ones, like Infowars, the Drudge Report. They had libertarian institutes like uh, Antiwar.com or the Ron Paul Institute. But they also had leftist ones that were critical of Clinton, like Truthdig and Naked Capitalism. And when you look at that list, it becomes clear what the, uh, what the defining points of it are. Basically, any opinion lying outside the fairway between Clinton Democrats and moderate Republicans has been tarred as being fake news sponsored by the Kremlin. And, and it got huge traction. Sorry? I, I was going to say I published articles for several of those sites that were named. Uh, do I have a, a check in the mail from the Kremlin? Am I getting anything out of this? <laughs> I don't know how many rubles you got out of it. No, sorry. But, uh, uh, yeah. Um, this, so, so the, uh, but the right, the right. utility you're suggesting, or one of the utilities of RussiaGate, has been for the corporate media in, in marginalizing uh, alternative media. Oh yeah, sure. The upshot of this website was that uh, Google, Bing, Facebook, and YouTube, as well as as well as other social media sites, changed their algorithms, and the effect of that was to absolutely hammer progressive media that was challenging the status quo. So, for instance, um, Google website um, search traffic for democracynow.org fell by 36%. For TrueSize, it fell by 25%. The Intercept lost 19% of its Google traffic. And Alternet reported a uh, 63% uh, drop in traffic. Likewise, progressive YouTube shows like Specular Talk, The Majority Report, The Jimmy Dore Show, or The Young Turks were also hit badly as advertising was pulled from them, especially when they covered sensitive issues like 
fracking or Syria. So the point, the utility of the Russian uh, narrative is that it allows mainstream media to re-establish their grip over the means of communication, which is under threat from both left and right due to the rise of the internet. And that's what I argued in the, in the piece at fair.org. But there's a second utility I'd like to talk about, if I may, which is also to smear political challenges from the left and right as well. Uh, absolutely. Let, so, I just want to ask first, what about prop or not? Who, who is that? Who's behind it? Is it the interests of the corporate media? Well, prop or not did not divulge who they were, and they insisted that, uh, that they remain anonymous. There have been some reports that say that they link to the uh, Atlantic Council, which is a NATO-funded think tank, which uh, argues that certain countries and certain um, political groups are under the influence of the Kremlin. But nothing's been confirmed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you were saying that, that another uh, possible utility is for certain politicians and parties? Yeah, well, actually, the Atlantic Council are involved in this as well. So in the United States, I'm sure many of your listeners have uh, have noticed that Jill Stein is uh, constantly tarred with the Russian brush. Likewise, Bernie Sanders has uh, faced similar treatment. So, for instance, the Washington Post asked its readers in a headline, when Russia interferes in the 2020 election on behalf of Bernie Sanders, how will liberals respond? So there's this prefabricated excuse for Sanders' popularity. Likewise, political groups like Black Lives Matter and Standing Rock, uh, the protesters at Standing Rock have been linked to Russia when it was revealed that that a Russian troll farm, the IRA, posted a few tweets and advertisements about them on Facebook. The implication is, of course, that the concerns over racial injustice and the environment are not real but manufactured from the Kremlin and therefore can be dismissed. Likewise, Chelsea Manning, when she tried to run for the Senate, near Sandin, a Democratic insider, retweeted a tweet saying that, quote, the Kremlin pays the extreme left to swing the elections. Remember that. And so the utility is to make everybody distrustful of any challenge to the establishment from the left or even the right as well. Was there any pretense of any shred of evidence that Chelsea Manning uh, was working for Russia? Uh, I didn't see any. I mean, that's just not expected or required anymore, I guess. Uh, no, I don't. I think we've uh, entered into uh, a very odd period. Yes, and, and, and it's also happening in the, it's also happening in the UK where I'm at just now. So, for instance, um, the Atlantic Council published a report saying that uh, the uh, that basically virtually every major political movement outside of the fairway between establishment left and establishment right were Kremlin-linked. So, for instance, in Greece, Syriza and Golden Dawn. In Italy, the Five Star Movement was uh, tarred as a Kremlin-controlled uh, organization. In Spain, Podemos was uh, linked to Russia. And in the UK, the Atlantic Council also linked uh, UKIP, which is a right-wing party, and Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party to Russia as well. And the media have followed suit. So um, when Corbyn uh, reacted to the Skripal poisoning, he's a long-time peace activist, but he was uncharacteristically bellicose. So he demanded a swift response to the aggression, but as long as it was measured. And the local media here went after him terribly. So, for instance, the two largest newspapers, 
in the country. The Sun had the front page that called him Putin's puppet, and the Daily Mail called him Corbyn the Kremlin stooge. And so we have this situation where uh, both challenges from the left and right to the establishment are being smeared as uh, Kremlin-backed and not as legitimate or as the result of uh, of two decades of neoliberalism. Didn't Jeremy Corbyn suggest that he'd like to see some proof or some evidence, if I'm remembering right, and for which I would not blame him? It seems perfectly reasonable request. Yeah, absolutely. He was quite bellicose. He said that we need to have a measured response. But he he essentially uh, accepted that it was likely... That, uh, that it was the work of Russia immediately. I, I, I may uh, be con- I may be confusing it with one of the allegations of, of chemical weapon use uh, in Syria, um, which uh, uh, which I'm sure I remember him saying he'd like to see uh, some evidence, and he was was hammered pretty hard for that. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, what? How do you explain? That Bernie Sanders uh, is the focus of the the Democratic Party emails that were the beginning of all of this, uh, and that content, the fact that what the emails uh, exposed was a party cheating Bernie Sanders, slanting the table against Bernie Sanders, that's blocked out of this story uh, virtually entirely, uh, and yet... Sanders is put back in uh, preemptively without any evidence uh, as someone who in the future might uh, become a, a Russian elected U.S. president. How is, how is such a feat possible? It's remarkable. You know, when we talk about Russian hacking, we often forget about what they are accused of doing, which is uh, hacking John Podesta's email via a spear phishing campaign and then giving the data to WikiLeaks. And what the Podesta email showed that was that Hillary Clinton had a, uh, an enormous advantage, a grotesque advantage over Sanders in the primaries, and that even her own campaign team held her in complete contempt, and furthermore, that she had a public and private face, and that she uh, assured bankers that um, she was lying to the public and that her private face was the real policy that she was going to give in. And yet Sanders has become the target of uh, the uh, Russian gate narrative, even though he has uh, largely gone along with uh, the idea that Russia is interfering in our elections. So he's not like Jill Stein, who's, um, who's been very critical of the narrative on the media. And yet he gets uh, tarred with the same brush, which means, to me, it proves that there's very little that leftists can do to avoid being tarred with this brush this is a political operation, and the utility is to sow discourse among the left and distrust of any challenge to the establishment. It's an attempt to retake control over the narrative. Uh, an attempt by who? Because I think the utility we're talking about now is not so much for the corporate media as for Hillary Clinton and allies in the Democratic Party. I, I mean, is part of the is there a utility here for those who uh, who are humiliated by the fact that that Clinton actively promoted Trump getting the Republican nomination, and then the pollsters that uh, virtually guaranteed Trump was going to lose, and so forth? Is there is there a utility here for for that crowd? Oh, absolutely. Um, the Democratic establishment. Um, 
they're using this as an attempt to um, uh, avoid introspection about why they lost to the uh, the most unpopular presidential candidate of all time, and uh, it's using it as a as an attempt to block out any challenge from the Sanders wing, which is pretty insurgent in the Democratic Party right now. So if Russia hacked the election, there's no need to ask why the Clinton campaign was so unpopular. There's no need to uh, ask why they did not campaign in Michigan or Wisconsin. There's no need to ask why so many of the Democratic base did not turn out for Clinton this time. There's a pre-packaged excuse there that it was the fault of Vladimir Putin, and therefore we don't need to cede any power to this uh, leftist challenge, which is going on right now. Yeah, and and yet despite Russiagate being so uh, prevalent in the news for the past uh, year and a half, the U.S. public really doesn't seem to care. Uh, less than one percent saying Russia is a is an important story, uh, and yet they are sort of watching this stuff in large numbers as as entertainment. I guess. I mean, is this is this turning news into entertainment to the uh, to the detriment of all of us? Uh, while not really benefiting the the politicians that think they're making hay out of it. I think I'd agree with that. It's really remarkable to watch um, from afar cable news and how it covers Russia. There was a fair.org study which found that Rachel Maddow's show, for instance, covered Russia more than any other story. In fact, more than all other stories combined during last summer. And yet it's not having an effect on, uh, on the people of America. The majority of Americans in polls, when asked, say that uh, the Russia investigation is harming America, and the Gallup poll you just uh, cited showed that so few people think Russia is the top issue in America that it was actually impossible to give a um, a numeral number to it because it was so small, less than 1%, as you said. The problem with this this is that um, while the corporate media is hammering Trump on Russia, they're not actually criticizing him on so many of his most disastrous policies. They're not going after him for his gutting of the Environmental Protection Agency. They're not going after him for his terrible tax cuts, which are going to affect so many people. They're not going after him for his his attempted destruction of Obamacare. They're not going after him for his uh, uh, refusal to do anything about climate change. These These are issues that affect tens of millions of people and billions of people across the globe. And the media is essentially giving him a free pass and not criticizing some of his most destructive policies because they're concentrating so much on Russia. Which uh, which actually may not help the Democrats electorally, even if they think it's helping them with their with their funders. Uh, I mean, we at Roots Action we have drafted over a dozen uh, articles of impeachment for for Trump, for which the evidence is overwhelming and no investigations are needed, uh, and none of them have anything to do with Russia, and none of them are of any interest uh, to any Democrats in Washington, although they're of interest to to millions of people across the United. States. Yeah, it's incredible. Russia for um, corporate Democrats is a bit of a safe issue. There are no special interests that are going to balk. There are no big donors that are going to balk at uh, that. So, for instance, if the Democrats were going to 
propose Medicare for all, a lot of their uh, corporate donors would not enjoy that. They perhaps wouldn't enjoy free college tuition or anything like that. And so these are politically sensitive issues that the Democrats could raise, but are not doing it. So going after Russia, uh, going after Trump on Russia is a safe issue because there are no massive corporations who are going to lose out monetarily. Likewise, with impeachment, it would actually be, in my opinion, relatively straightforward to construct a case to impeach Donald Trump. There's the emoluments clause, which he broke from day one with all his business deals with different other different countries. We've seen his business deals in Saudi Arabia. He's got all sorts of uh, fingers in all these different pies across the world. And these are clearly, um, at the very least, the gray area. You know, Jimmy Carter sold his peanut farm to avoid a conflict of interest, but Donald Trump hasn't divested any of his businesses, really. I mean, some of them he seems to have passed on uh, control to his uh, children, but his children are in the White House every day as well. Yeah. Likewise, we already know that the U.S. is uh, that Donald Trump is doing the business of a foreign nation. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu came out and said that Trump went to the U.N. and tried to get... Uh, a resolution condemning Israel changed. So he was actually, or the Trump team were going around the United Nations at the behest of Israel, in fact, talking to Russia, trying to get them to change their votes. And yet this is not picked up in the media because Israel's an ally and they don't really care if the United States is doing their business. And, and not only is this not something we need an investigation to find out about, but uh, Roots Action and Free Speech for People uh, put up a petition around the domestic as well as the foreign emoluments clauses on Inauguration Day, uh, January 2017, got in the corporate media, got over a million signatures, uh, and has been uh, waiting for Congress to pick it up all this time. I... I uh, you've touched on, and I wanted to ask about uh, Alan McLeod, uh, another beneficiary here, uh, which is the, the the weapons profiteers, the military, NATO as an institution. Uh, I mean, these are the big beneficiaries of of hostility with Russia, are they not? Yes, absolutely. One of the most astonishing things about this whole Russia narrative is that it has uh, made liberal support neocon foreign policy. So we have Donald Trump maybe not um, pushing quite as hard in Ukraine or Syria as uh, some neocons would like. But we have the incredible situation where liberals who are supposed to be critical of war um, are attacking Trump from the right, saying he's not doing enough in Ukraine because he's controlled by Russia. And this is astonishingly dangerous, considering that these two countries are the two uh, best-armed, most nuclear-equipped countries in the world, and they have very... Uh, they've, they've gone very close to nuclear annihilation on multiple occasions in, uh, in the 20th century. We really should not be uh, goading Trump into increasing that likelihood. So, for instance, the, um, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists moves its... Uh, famous doomsday clock closer to midnight than it's ever been at two minutes to midnight. That's closer than it was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. And one of the reasons it gave was that the increased hostilities between the U.S. and Russia make nuclear annihilation much more likely. Likewise, the, uh, the military um, 
for defense companies have uh, made out very well. Trump uh, passed uh, a new military budget with a huge increase in uh, spending on the military, and the Democrats went along with it. You know, this is an incredible thing when two years ago they were telling us that Donald Trump is a fascist madman who cannot have his finger on the button, and now they're approving uh, deals which uh, increase uh, the power of the military. It's incredible. Well, he he threatens the president of North Korea too much and the president of Russia not enough, apparently, right? <laughs> I, I don't know how to make sense of it. What, how do you make sense of all the liberals in the United States uh, falling desperately in love with the FBI and the CIA? Um, I, I mean, th- this is, is a little disturbing, is it not? Absolutely. It's pretty astonishing that uh, liberals can get behind institutions like the FBI and CIA and are taking whatever they say as uh, as complete gospel. These are not to be, these institutions are not to be trusted and uh, they are no friends of progressives, that's for sure. If, if there turns out to be any truth to stories about Trump and Russia, however tangentially related to the original email leaking story uh then they do then then it does merit some fraction of all the all the attention it's gotten right oh yeah for sure we should uh, at least be looking at this um but uh my problem is is that perhaps this story should uh be five percent or ten percent of rachel maddow's uh time on air rather than 55 percent as it is because there are so many other incredibly important issues right now you know where racing towards a climate precipice. There are potential nuclear wars developing with North Korea and Russia. More than half of the United States is poor and can't afford even a $500 bill. Uh, Homelessness is on the rise. Uh, Poverty is... There's so many things that we could talk about, but instead we are focusing on Russia. And it's um, it's, uh, not conducive to a better uh, society. And, and isn't that part of why people bother to watch other outlets like Russia TV? Uh, I mean, if the corporate media would cover the important issues and would cover fracking and Black Lives Matter and on and on, then there wouldn't be any concern about accusing people of, of watching such stories on, on Russian television, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons people go there is because they'll hear views that they will not see on mainstream television and it's uh, you know for journalists like myself i can see why a lot of them end up working at rt because the sorts of viewpoints they wanted to cross would net they would never be employed by msnbc or cnn or fox and so they're left with the only possibility which is to go and work for rt or perhaps al jazeera or sputnik or one of these uh one of these websites Right, and but then and then you're working for a government and a foreign, evil, traitorous, uh, you know, <laughs> colluding yeah. government that, to that. So, I mean, so it's it's you're, you're taking your you know, some risk in your career. Um, we we've got just a, a few minutes left. I want to ask about your forthcoming book, uh, Propaganda in the Information Age: Still Manufacturing Consent. How do you how do you update uh, what Chomsky and and Herman produced? Yeah, so it's um, this October is the 30th anniversary of manufacturing consent, 
which has uh, become something of a Bible for people who want to understand the media. Um, the authors talked about how um, there were five filters which uh, controlled the media and controlled what we saw um, on television and in our newspapers. But uh, it was written during the Cold War, and some of the filters and some of their ideas are perhaps, if not out of date, perhaps we have to start looking at them in a different way because the media since the 80s has changed incredibly with the rise of the internet and social media and the almost complete destruction of printed word as a source of information. And television's going the same way. If you look at the, if you look at the data, the average television viewer in the US is way over 60 now. And young people do not get their information from there. They get it from social media like Twitter and Facebook. And they're also accessing it in different ways, like with their smartphones and things. But uh, regardless, this uh, this internet, which was supposed to set us free, has also um, introduced the most massive media monopolies we've seen in history. I'm thinking about um, companies like Google and Facebook, which absolutely dominate their markets. And so uh, we really have to start looking at how the... Uh, the new landscape of the media is affecting what we see. And so I'm working with uh, Chomsky as well as uh, some other great academics to put out a book which explores these uh, these uh, concepts. And do you think, uh, is, is the book going to have recommendations in terms of public policy or for media entrepreneurs or is... is uh, the idea that we that we can fix things to some degree by becoming better consumers, better readers, better viewers and listeners? Well, my own view about that is that I would recommend people to try to look at uh, a variety of information from a variety of different sources, from different countries if you can as well. With the internet, that's easier than ever to get uh, a much more rounded view of what's going on a triangulation, if you will, so you understand this is this country's viewpoint, this is this country's viewpoint, this is the liberal viewpoint, this is the conservative viewpoint. But uh, there's only so much we can do as consumers. At some point, we're going to have to tackle the um, problem of the enormous power these media companies now have. And, uh, you know, six companies control 90% of what we see and read on the television. And on the Internet, it's not much better because... Uh, so much of what we read on the internet is just legacy media online. And so I would start arguing that we really have to think about breaking up these massive monopolies and perhaps putting them under public ownership. Uh, just about one minute left. The net neutrality has just sort of been ended unless it's uh, restored. Is this going to have a, a significant uh, effect on these same uh, bad trends you're describing? Uh, it's a very worrying thing. Journalism uh, is under threat, and so is, as you said, net neutrality, which means that uh, certain websites will be loaded faster and you'll have less access to other websites. This is a form of subtle censorship, which uh, has not existed in the past. We're, we're going into a, a brave new world of the media. Very interesting to look at, but it is very worrying as well, and I think we're all being affected by it. We are indeed. We need to try to overcome it. So uh, 
tell lots of stations to air this program and any other independent so-called Russia-funded program. Tell Russia to actually hand over the money because none of us have seen any of it. Uh, Alan McLeod... I don't really want Russia's money. I'm joking. Alan McLeod is a a writer at FAIR, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, FAIR.org, where he recently published the article The Utility of the Russiagate Conspiracy. Alan McLeod, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. It's been my pleasure. Anytime. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a non-profit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.